Okay, so we are wrapping up the cardinal virtues this week. We're going to talk about the fourth of the four cardinal virtues. And then next month, uh, I'm going to talk about a particular virtue. It's kind of a subset of the one we're talking today, a virtue called magnanimity, um, which I, I would better put it as putting yourself on the hook. So we're going to talk next month about putting yourself on the hook. Uh, and then after that, it'll be August. I think we're going to maybe have a joint meeting with the other churches. And then, you know, come September in the new school year, we'll, we'll be doing something new. But so we're kind of getting near the end of our, our time talking about the virtues. So I hope it's been good. Um, and so we're going to talk today about uh, temperance. So when you hear the word temperance, what do you what comes to mind? What are some things that come to mind when you when you hear the word temperance? Okay, moderation would be one. So not, not doing things to excess. Uh, what else? No alcohol. Okay, so temperance, uh, one very particular definition has to do with teetotaling, like having no alcohol at all. So temperance unions um, were, were designed to abolish alcohol. Um, so that would be another one. Any other, any other thoughts or uh, things that come to mind with temperance? Those are probably the main ones. Um, total abstinence from alcohol, but also moderation in things. Um, and it's the fourth of the four cardinal virtues. So what were, the, what were the first three? What was the first one that we talked about? Prudence. Prudence, okay, also known as wisdom. And the second one? Justice, good. All right. And then what did we talk about last month? Fortitude, also known as courage. Okay. And there's an order to those. Wisdom helps you to see correctly and rightly. Justice, uh, you have to see rightly if you're going to do right by others. And then fortitude is, is the courage to see those things through, to relinquish your life, to lay down your life, to do the right and the good thing. Okay. Um, so an image that I want, uh, I want to present this morning is for you to think of your, your virtuous life like a river. So this is supposed to be a river. See the waves? Yeah. And so, yeah, thanks. Um, so think of your virtuous life as a river, a, a, a mighty flowing river. It's powerful. It's strong. When you have prudence and when you have justice and you have fortitude all aligned, your life is going in a, in a straightforward, strong direction, okay? Um, now, what would, be, what would be one way to decrease that power in a river? If you wanted to take all the strength and force out of it, what would you do? Huh? Build a dam. Okay, build a dam. All right, what else? Increase any one of those. Okay. Right, if you, if you had lesser amounts of these, okay. Um, another way would be to remove the banks because the banks are what helps channel the river. And so temperance, when we talk about temperance today or self-control, temperance is the banks that allows the river to stay on course and to stay strong. Uh, if you don't have banks, if you don't have boundaries, it leaks out. And, and it dissipates and it loses its strength. Um, so Lewis defines, or he talks about temperance in this way. Uh, and this kind of alludes to what Andy mentioned earlier. So he says, uh, in the, basically in the old days, um, temperance referred not specially to drink, 
but to all pleasures. And it meant not abstaining, but going the right length and no further. So we can think of temperance as going the right length and no further. And he says, one great piece of mischief has been done by the modern restriction of the word temperance to the question of drink. It helps people to forget that you can be just as intemperate about lots of other things. A man who makes his golf or his motorbike the center of his life, or a woman who devotes all her thoughts to clothes or bridge or her dog, is being just as intemperate as someone who gets drunk every evening. Of course, it does not show on the outside so easily. Golf mania does not make you fall down in the middle of the road, but God is not deceived by externals. So you can be intemperate about all kinds of things. Um, so some, some ways for us to think about temperance. Uh, temperance is it's the virtue of self-possession. It's keeping yourself within yourself when you're temperate uh, and possessing a well-ordered life. So when you have the virtue of temperance, your life is well-ordered. There aren't excesses. Um, it's the only one of the four cardinal virtues that looks within. So wisdom looks outward to get the sense of real things. Justice looks toward your fellow man. And fortitude is where you relinquish and lay down your life uh, to do the thing that needs to be done. But temperance looks inward to see if everything is rightly ordered. Does that make sense? Um, in temperance, you order your life so that the other three virtues can have their maximum effect. And another way to think of it is that temperance is selfless self-preservation. So you can have selfish self-preservations where you hold yourself back from others in a selfish manner so that you don't have to help somebody with something. You can preserve yourself that way selfishly. But temperance is selfless self-preservation. Uh, if I fortified myself against excesses that would keep me from doing the good that I need to do, then I'm, I'm, I'm practicing temperance. It's keeping myself intact for the good of others when I'm self-possessed. Um, so think of it this way. If, what if I have agreed to help somebody move? Okay, so I, I've agreed to help you move. And then the night before the move, I decide to stay up all night binge watching Stranger Things season four. Okay, and at five in the morning, I stumble into bed. and I'm supposed to be at your house at eight and I wake up at, at 830 and I call and I bail. Okay, my excess, my intemperance has kept me from doing the loving thing that I said that I was going to do. I, I failed to order my life well. I gave in to excess and it's kept me from, from being available to you for an act of love. Uh, intemperance is self-destructive. When we're intemperate, it's self-destructive. And as a progressive vice, the more intemperate that, the, that we are, the more that we live enslaved by those things that we're giving ourselves to in excess. And again, it could be, it could be alcohol, but it could also be gaming. It could be any number of things where there's intemperance. We become enslaved to those things as it progresses. And, and temperance is related to this word, continence. I think this is a, this is a helpful way to understand it. Um, someone who is incontinent can't hold themselves. Um, when they have to go to the bathroom, they go wherever they are, even if they're not in the bathroom, because 
They just, they can't hold themselves. They're incontinent. Um, a continent person can hold himself. He can wait until the appropriate time and the appropriate place in order to relieve himself. Um, someone who is intemperate, who lacks self-control, is like the incontinent person. They don't hold themselves when it comes to these things that can be given to excess. Um, if they're enslaved by something, they can't hold themselves from it. And they continually give themselves to it, whether it's an appropriate time for that or not. But a temperate man possesses himself and doesn't give himself over to those things. Does that make sense? You see the relationship between temperance and continence? Hopefully that's a helpful way of, of thinking about it. Now here's where our faith goes beyond the classical virtues and the classical understanding of temperance. Um, you can't be self-possessed in this way unless you're first possessed by the love of God and the spirit within. Okay, When you're possessed by the love of God and you have the spirit, then self-control can manifest itself as fruit of the spirit. Um, apart from that, it's, you're, you're only going to be able to go so far. So we first need to be possessed by the love of God in order to be self-possessed so that we can be selflessly self-preserved and give ourselves in love to others. It's the outgrowth of life in the Spirit as we're discipled to Jesus. We good so far? Okay. Um, there are three areas that I want to talk about in, in this area of temperance, and kind of three categories. So the first of these is chastity versus unchastity. And this has to do with temperance in the area of sex. And uh, Proverbs 5.16 says, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets. So that's, that's a picture of somebody whose banks are over flooded. Somebody who's intemperate in this area has no banks and the streams of water are in the streets. Chastity keeps a man within himself in this area. He knows where the boundaries are, and he doesn't exceed them. And for, for married men, the boundaries are different from single men. But we all have boundaries. We all have limits to where we can go. And, and temperance keeps us within those, those limits. Unchastity creates a blindness of spirit. Um, an inability to perceive objective reality. So when you're given to unchastity, when you're, when you're exceeding what, is, what the limit is in this area, you become blind to reality, and you don't see what's real. So maybe you've had a conversation with somebody who is in a relationship that they shouldn't be in, and you know, they know that technically, or, or legally, or spiritually, they shouldn't be in that relationship, and you've communicated that they shouldn't be in that relationship, but because of what they're getting from the relationship, they're blind to that reality. And they may make all the arguments in the world about why it's good for them to be in that relationship, but it really comes back to the one thing that they've given themselves to unchastity and they're just getting deeper and deeper into it. And it doesn't matter what you say to them. They want what they want. And they're blind to reality. And they, they fail to perceive what's true. Does that make sense? 
So that's what happens the deeper somebody gets into unchastity. That's the first area. The second one is uh, gentleness versus unchecked anger. And so uh, gentleness is a manifestation of temperance, of self-control, whereas unchecked anger is a manifestation of intemperance. And there are times when we have to use wrath to counter evil. We talked about this last month in the area of fortitude. Sometimes, sometimes wrath is the answer. But unchecked anger is something that's quite different. And it doesn't take but one instance of unchecked anger to cost you dearly and to, to change a lot of things in your life. Um, anybody know who Woody Hayes is? Woody Hayes was a football coach for Ohio State University for 28 seasons, won five national championships in the College Football Hall of Fame. Um, against their rival Michigan in, in 1978, uh, he punched a Michigan player in the throat. was fired the next day. Almost anything, other than diehard Ohio State fans, almost anything anybody remembers of Woody Hayes is that he punched a Michigan player in the throat. Uh, what about Bob Knight? That's a little closer to our time. Okay? When you think of Bob Knight, what's the first thing that you think of? Throwing a chair across the court. Okay? Or choking one of his players, which was caught on video. You, reckon, you remember Bob Knight as, a, as a, an angry man. Uh, somebody who gave his anger free reign, who had unchecked anger. You certainly, nobody certainly remembers him as a gentleman. Uh, gentleness as a virtue understands that we have the potential for anger inside, but it keeps it mastered. And so there may be times where wrath is the answer, but gentleness as a virtue keeps anger mastered, keeps it in its place. It doesn't weaken anger, but it keeps it in check. Does that make sense? Um, anger often comes to the front when we're offended by something, by anything. But when we're offended, we have a quick trigger toward anger. Uh, it could be somebody cutting you off on the road and, and you kind of flare up. Somebody may say something to you at work or, or insinuate something and, and you become offended and you kind of flare up inside and you think about maybe a retort or later uh, you think of the retort that you would have liked to have given, you know, because it's, it's kind of simmering around in your head. The anger is still there. And we have to watch that. Um, it's very possible, if you're a parent, you know this, it's, it's possible sometimes to be offended by our kids. When our kids don't act respectfully, we might get offended, or if they complain about certain things, we might get offended. And we want to be very careful not to be offended. It's, it, it's, I think it's normal to be disappointed by certain actions in people, whether by our kids or by our coworkers, by our friends. We may be disappointed by things that they do, but we can't get offended. Because if we're offended, then we're getting very close to letting anger out of the box. That's what happened to Cain. Now, Cain was offended that his, his offering was not regarded. Could you repeat the last thing you just said? Uh, just, uh, as, far, just the very last thing you just said. As far as uh, okay. that we, we can be disappointed but not offended? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so just for example, like you may be disappointed in something that you're your coworkers do or say. Um, 
you know, pe- people will do things that they shouldn't do. And, th- and that we may be disappointed by that, but we need to be very careful to not be offended by it, to be personally offended by it, to, to be affronted by it. Because when that happens, then we're real close to, to giving vent to anger. Um, and, we, and we should not. Yeah. But Cain was offended that his, his offering wasn't regarded and it led him to, to killing his brother. And God tried to warn him about it. Then this last area, these are a, a couple of Latin terms, but studiositas versus curiositas. You can kind of tell where, what we get from this word. We get the word curiosity from this. Um, curiositas is a desire for knowledge and experience that goes beyond what's necessary and proper. Okay? A desire for knowledge and experience that goes beyond the limits of what's necessary and proper. And so this is disciplining the eyes. Studiositas is about disciplining the eyes in what we want to see. Let the reader understand, right? Um, Curiositas would be just kind of randomly, casually clicking around the internet and and knowing that you're getting close to things that might get you in trouble. But because you don't know for sure, you keep casually clicking around. That's a manifestation of curiositas. It might take you somewhere you shouldn't be, but you don't know, so you keep going. Um, Joseph Pieper uh, writes this, he says, There is gratification in seeing that reverses the original meaning of vision and works disorder in a man. The true meaning of seeing is the perception of reality, but concupiscence of the eyes, which is the King James language for 1 John 2.16, in the ESV I think it says the lust of the eyes, does not aim to perceive reality, but to enjoy seeing. So it's not about, he's not talking about appreciating sunsets and, and forests and oceans and things like that. He's talking about seeing for the sake of seeing and to enjoy seeing. And I think those of us who are older kind of know what he's talking about. That it's not seeing to perceive reality, but it's seeing because there's something that you want to see. And you may not necessarily be supposed to be seeing that. And eventually, if this persists, it becomes willful intemperance. So um, it's, it, it's no longer just a slip. It's no longer just a bad decision, something that you repent of, but it becomes willful intemperance. It becomes a, a settled habit and pattern and something you look forward to and something that you begin to make excuses to do. And it goes from repentance to half-hearted repentance to no repentance to where it is a, kind of a settled habit of mind and heart. And that's a scary place. When you're, when you're fully given over to curiositas and it becomes willful intemperance, wisdom puts limits on knowledge. Okay? When, when we have the virtue of, of prudence, of wisdom, it sets limits to where we should go and what we should see. We know where the limits are. I think all of us know where the limits are. I think we have that wisdom. Temperance enables us to enforce those limits and to not transgress them. If I'm within myself, if I'm keeping myself within myself, I not only know where the limits are, but I also don't transgress them. And I don't 
get close to them, right? If you know that there's an electrified fence, you may know, okay, yes, I need to not touch the fence. How about not getting anywhere close to where the fence is, right? How about getting as far away from the fence as you can? There's, no, there's nothing that says you have to get really close to the fence. And so wisdom and temperance keep us from that. Um, curiositas is called the roaming unrest of the spirit. And the roaming unrest of the spirit is connected to something that we talked about in a previous men's meeting called acedia. Do you remember us talking about acedia before? It's kind of a, a spiritual boredom, a, a spiritual malaise. The, a failure to acknowledge the good things that God puts into our life and to stretch toward them. Um, and so curiositas is linked to that. When we have this, this unrestful roaming of the spirit, it's, it's linked to that kind of spiritual boredom. And here's, a, here's an example, I think, of the relationship between curiositas and acedia. Uh, one example would be constant phone checking and refreshing. Just where it becomes a habit of just picking up your phone and clicking through the same, or you know, just hitting the same couple of apps to see if anything's new or has changed. Um, that's a, that's an example of of curiositas, and it's and it kind of shows a, a distaste for life as it currently is. It's just a kind of boredom. It's like I don't like what's going on right now. I'm bored. Or I'm in something that I don't want to be in, and so I'm just going to pick my phone up again and check the same couple of apps or refresh the screen again. Um, does that make sense? It's a, it's a desire to see and to know more, even though it's almost certainly just going to be frivolous. It's not going to be very important. Um, gaming can certainly fall into the intemperance of curiositas. Uh, wanting to move deeper and deeper into a world that's not our world, that's not our real world, uh, but that is a play world. Um, in, a, in the gaming world, you can win a claim and you can do heroic deeds, but those deeds aren't done in the real world. And so they're not really heroic, but you can have the experience, the feeling of doing something that's heroic in the game world. Um, there, there's, I haven't read the book, but there's a, a book by a woman named Wendy Kays uh, called Game Widow. You can only imagine what that book is about. Right? Um, somebody whose husband is totally given over to the intemperance in this area of, of constant gaming, constantly living in this other world to where she is, in a, in a very real sense, living on her own as a widow. Um, studiositas, the opposite of this, the, ver the expressed virtue of temperance, is the discipline of apprehending the real world, the real world that we live in, as God made it, and staying in it. Staying firmly in the real world as God made it. And this doesn't mean, I'm not saying that you should never, ever play a video game. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that. But do you know when to withdraw? And can you withdraw easily? Or are you still living in that game world hours after, even? 
Um, so studiositas is apprehending the real world as God made it and firmly living in it. Um, how many of you have seen the, the new Doctor Strange movie? How many of you want to see it and don't want me to uh, spoil anything? <laughs> okay, Peter. All right. Uh, you might want to cover yours. Um, <laughs> so uh, the, the movie is called Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and it plays on the whole idea of the multiverse. And in the multiverse, there are, there's not just this universe, but there are all kinds of other parallel universes in which... You are in these other universes, living a life and doing other things, but your life may look different and probably does look different in those universes. So in another universe, you maybe actually get the girl that you wanted to marry in, in high school or in college, whereas in this universe, you didn't. And so with all these multiple universes in the multiverse, there is the potential for you to have the exact life that you always hoped that you would have. And this frames some of the, the important decisions that characters have to make in the movie. Toward the end of the movie, uh, Doctor Strange asks uh, Wong, who's another character, he says, Wong, he says, are you happy? And Wong says, and, and he's thinking about the multiverse, he says, that's an interesting question. Sometimes I do wonder about my other lives, meaning, lives going on in the multiverse. He says, sometimes I wonder about my other lives, but I remain grateful for this one, even with its own tribulations. Which I think is just amazingly profound, for a Marvel movie anyway, it's amazingly <laughs> profound. <laughs> even with the potential of all these other, these other lives, he remains grateful for this one, even in its tribulations, even in the, the difficulties that go on that we perceive. But when, but studiositas is apprehending the world as it really is. And the world as it really is means that we acknowledge that we have difficulties in this life, that we have tribulations, and we don't just uh, wish that we had a life that was other than what we have. The concept of a multiverse is that there is a universe where you get exactly what you want, exactly what you were supposed to have, exactly what you deserve. And that's a very alluring temptation, right? Now, you might say, well, yeah, fine, but it's fiction. It's a, there's no multiverse. And even if there is, we can't access it. So who cares? Well, we don't have a multiverse, but we do have virtual reality. And we do have progressively what's called the metaverse, where with, with increasing uh, progressions in virtual reality, you can begin to have more kinds of experiences than we've been able to have in the past. Um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's working on the metaverse and, and renamed his company Meta for that. And in an interview after he, after he renamed the company, um, Zuckerberg said this, he, he refers to the metaverse as a parallel digital realm, okay? And he says, the next platform and medium will be even more immersive, an embodied internet where you're in the experience, not just looking at it. And we call this the metaverse. And you're going to be able to do almost anything that you imagine. So the multiverse may not exist, but the metaverse does. And there's not a whole lot of difference because if you can, if, if Zuckerberg fulfills his promise that you can do almost anything that you can imagine, well then you can go 
to a lot of places that you couldn't go to before. And you can have a lot of kinds of experiences that maybe if such a thing as a multiverse existed, that you would go seeking. Um, just one example. I mean, we can think of a lot of nefarious examples, but here's one that's, that maybe we haven't considered. Let's say that this metaverse is, is real and you can, um, you can experience a lot of things through virtual reality. Let's say you have a boss that you don't like, okay? Um, why wouldn't it be possible to have a, uh, an avatar of your boss that you experience in uh, augmented reality or what he calls extended reality where you just beat the tar out of your boss and you can physically feel yourself beating the tar out of something that looks like your boss, not really your boss, but in this extended reality scenario, it's close enough. Well, I think that's pretty dangerous, don't you? And it doesn't make it less of a sin of giving yourself to unchecked anger and violence just because it's not real. Um, so anyway, that's uh, some of that's speculative, but um, the emphasis is on apprehending the world as it really is, staying grounded in this world, not seeking after knowledge and experiences that transcend the limits of where we are supposed to be. Does that make sense? So kind of uh, summing some of these things up, temperance is the virtue of mature manliness. It's the virtue of mature manliness because the man who could respond in anger and who doesn't, the man who firmly knows and keeps his boundaries and what he chooses to see and experience, and the man who could find an outlet for his desires and yet remains chaste, that man is like a mighty pulsating river uh, who's kept in by the banks of temperance. And he has that vitality because of the strength of the banks. And that's a mature man. That's a man who can go forward and be fully used by God. Amen? Amen. 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 All right. Any thoughts?